Yo, it is Wednesday, June 29th. We're celebrating a birthday today. We'll tell you about that in a second. JD Power is telling us initial quality is taking a massive dive, and adults want more mind space. Everywhere I go, the people really want to know who I am. Swelling my mind. There's there's a gif. <laughs> there's a gif in my head on the mind space one. You probably know exactly what it is. It's the guy who's like the guy with the glasses oh man oh man oh man it's a beautiful summer day in so many places in the country uh it's hard hard to be down on a beautiful summer day come on what's what is gorgeous in nashville in the summer oh well i woke up to 63 degree cool weather right now it's going to be 93 and sunny in the afternoon but the summer days where we get that like 30 degree swing Mm. is just perfect a lot of our summer days are like a 15 degree swing so we go like 79 to 90 93 or something like that um but these days where we get that nice cool morning nice cool evening that's all that's all you need that's all you need yeah it's it's tough when it's like 80 degrees at nighttime that's when it's like, yeah, something wrong, something wrong with that. Now there's nothing can't bonfire. Like, yeah. Can't do any of that good stuff. Right. You're right? Just like, yeah. Uh, uh, well, um, look, iPhone, I mean, iPhone, <laughs> a SonuCon ticket launch is less than a week away. July oh. 5th. So everyone's coming back from the 4th of July holiday to a very special treat. And that is a SonuCon tickets will be for sale. If you haven't got on the pre-registered list yet, go to a SonuCon.com because there's only going to be 50 industry partner tickets that are released to non collaborators. And we want to make sure you have a chance to get one. So uh, we're going to be picking or randomly drawing 50 names off of that pre-reg list that have the opportunity to buy a ticket. If you're a dealer, yes. you can buy a ticket anyway. <laughs> uh, so we're going to launch the site, start announcing speakers and collaborators, and uh, the momentum's really going to pick up from here. So make sure you get to sodocon.com and pre-register. Are you going? Yeah, let's go. It's it's about to it's about to get real, uh, real fast. So uh, we have a birthday today, a very notable birthday. Oh, I was like, this is a little trump. Is that trombone? <laughs> I don't know, trumpet, trombone, whatever you kind of feel like. You need the vibrato in it. <laughs> well, right, the iPhone just, just went out. The iPhone <laughs> turned 15 today. 15 years ago today, wow. June 29th, 2007, the iPhone went on sale. It began that pandemonium of people waiting outside, camping outside the Apple Store to buy the very first LCD touchscreen device. 15. My, my son, wild. Miles, is 15. It, I, I, yeah, wow. I remember, I was in college when that happened, and I just remember this, like, frenzy buzz, right? Because we had all had Facebook, and so there was this, we, we all kind of knew Facebook early in, in my college years. And so there was all already this intentionality around new tech. You know, the Web 2 was starting to kind of, flow into the college ecosystem and and then this was coming along and everybody it was like save your summer summer money stand out line outside on the line all that type of stuff uh so 15 years later for it to kind of be this like global phenomenon that has taken over the way that we approach daily life Life. literally great quote uh there we linked up a wall street journal article that actually has a little documentary. I think it's only like probably 10 minutes long, but it traces a family of a kid who's 15 
And it kind of goes back to his iPhone usage throughout the, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, This quote's in the article though. It says, truly, we just thought this was going to be a fun, easy to use thing when you want to do a few messages. Tony Fidel, a former senior Apple executive who worked on the original iPhone. um, He said, we didn't think it was going to become the center of your life. I have a question about his comments. Hmm. I think that Steve Jobs knew he it knew. was going to become the center of yeah. Because I and I said this in all my training back when I was at the dealership. I said I, one of the crazy things that Steve Jobs did, and the way that he cast vision for a product was always in this way. He would say, "I can't wait to share with you this the next thing that we're doing. It's going to and and he used these words often or some iteration of these words." change the way we blank whatever blank was that that device so like his intention was that devices changed behavior yeah right or changed like attention right and so they somehow integrated i think he knew too I, i i really think he did so the original iphone this is funny so at the time the main competitor was the blackberry curve did you have one of those I didn't have a black. I did. Well, I if you were in college, like, if you were in college, that makes that, that makes sense, right? Because it was kind of like a business tool, right? Yes. For emails. Yeah. And there was a great thing about it is that it did have the keyboard. So you could totally text without looking because your thumbs knew where the buttons were. It was really yeah. easy. But the BlackBerry Curve, um, I didn't get the All iPhone. the high schoolers back there were like, why do you need two thumbs on this thing? I got it in my pocket sending 18 word <laughs> messages, right? I'm right. a Nokia phone, triple tapping. <laughs> exactly exactly but um at the time i had uh i was in the middle of like some two-year verizon contract and if if you remember iphone didn't come out of verizon until i think it was the three or the four um so i didn't get one and but 6.1 million units sold it was discontinued just a year later when they released the iphone 2 um 6.1 million units you know how many were sold last year 220 233 million (sighs) units last year the original model had get this 128 megabytes of memory <laughs> 128 wow. meg- with a with a whopping four gigabytes of storage juxtaposed to now where you get four- i take i take single videos that are like four gigs oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nuts. now you know obviously we know four gigabytes of memory a minimum of 128 gigabytes of storage the original iPhone had a two megapixel real rear camera and no front facing camera. Not at all. Yeah. There was no, there was no need to do FaceTiming. That selfies. The word selfie wasn't even in the vernacular. It didn't exist. How weird Isn't is that? that? Crazy. Because, I mean, to do a selfie, you'd have to, I guess you'd have to wow. turn the camera backwards, figure out how to trigger the camera, figure out if you were in the shot. I mean, look, people took selfies back in the day with like point and shoots. They weren't called right. selfies oh, without a doubt. because yeah. there were a lot fewer of them. So, I mean, for real, man, you feeling a little bit old this morning, 15, 15? I, I, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that without a doubt. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize. Well, now it'll be easy. My son, Miles, is 15. So now I'll always remember that's the year the iPhone. Like, I know when. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah. About- it, it, Go ahead. It, 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 you know what? This is, this is what's interesting to me is like if I would have thought early on in business to utilize the, the, that device as a tool. Right. I, I just I think that my trajectory as a salesperson, as a manager, as all that type of stuff, like it wasn't thought of as a tool no. early on in its use. And if I would have been like if I would have thought, let's use that as a tool for business efficiency or yeah. any oh any level gosh. of thing, 
like just the ahead of the curve. And so I think, you know, the takeaway for me is what today are some people going, oh, it's just kind of a nice hobby that you could slide into utilizing as a tool mm. and be so far ahead of the curve. Right. Not you know? just enter, not an, a, an entertainment device. Right. Right. But a tool. Exactly. Interesting. 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 Well, um, JD Power, moving on, JD Power released their annual uh, initial quality report and it didn't look too good. <laughs> it was dicey. It was dicey. <laughs> it was dicey. First time. Yeah, I-, I saw this. Yeah, I saw this yesterday and and it's interesting because, you know, that the all of the all of the kind of things that happened through the pandemic that have accelerated retail, accelerated, um, you know, inflation and purchasing and consumer behavior have put a real like damper on the ability to produce a high quality product. I mean, even early on, if you think about just something as simple as not having heated seats in a luxury vehicle, that's a reality. And so what's the trickle down effect of that, that like customer facing thing, as far as a quality perspective, all the way down the line, right? Hiring more new employees, trying to find a workforce that's willing to work, all of that type of stuff throughout the pandemic, I think definitely leaned into this lack of quality over the last couple of years. Yeah, and just to be clear, initial quality doesn't mean like things in the car are breaking a lot. It means that there are some problems that consumers perceive with the vehicle when they get it. The initial quality perception of the consumer basically is what this measured. How many problems are there? So um, this is the first year ever that the initial quality index has dropped. And it didn't just drop like a point or two. It dropped 11%. But ever since J.D. Power have, have been doing this report... It, the initial quality has been getting better and better and better. Um, you know, this year on average, there were 100, they measure quality by problems per 100 vehicles. So there were 180 problems on average per 100 vehicles. So that means consumers perceived almost two problems per new vehicle. Um, the wow. lowest surprised the heck out of me. Maybe not actually, but it did. It, Wait it, a second. It did it surprised you? <laughs> What's that, Buick? If you were in 1998, it would have surprised you. What? <laughs> that Buick had the initial lowest. I mean, they, they had the best quality score. Buick Wait, had they the, ha- oh, they had the lowest. Oh, Buick's, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Buick, Buick had okay, the least yeah, problems per vehicle at 139. So 139 problems per 100 vehicles. So 1.39 problems per vehicle with Polestar at the top of the list at 328 problems per 100 vehicles. Um, so... So do you think that that some of that is due to like being so ahead of the curve like yes. if you're trying to be so ahead of the curve yes. it's it's almost like like there's this quote that um sometimes early looks wrong yeah. right and sometimes early could be wrong because people aren't ready for it or it's mm-hmm. not or the technology isn't ready for people or anything like that so well I don't have the list in front of me but but Tesla also had 228 problems per car um, you know, some of the some of the the problems reported. So if you think of it this way, like you said, Kyle, um, you know, a vehicle shows up and it doesn't have heated seats and the consumer was expecting heated seats and they didn't really, right. you know, they didn't realize it. So now that's a problem. Um, you know, one of the one of the big oh, Jim Elliott says Buick's been going strong on years on this metric. Wow. I wonder if they've already always been low on the or mm. they've yeah. always been. So that's good to know. Thanks, Jim. Um you know, and you also think a lot of the problems were infotainment related. So people Without hooking up CardPlay or Android. So you think about like, okay, that could be a problem. And integration and yep. When I hear that, 
my mind always goes like, hey, this is actually something that dealers can control a lot more than you would think, right? Because you would think initial quality from the manufacturer, well, that's a manufacturer issue. But this actually seems more like a communication and delivery issue to me, right? If I well, knew- Or at least time, you could own it like it's one. Or at least you could own it. You like have to one. own it like it's one. Right. You have to. Yep. Right. What are you going to say? Well, the manufacturer designed the system this way. What are you going to do? Um, there's really an opportunity to lean into the delivery process or lean into, um, you know, the communication about what the car is and isn't going to have to make it super yep. clear. Because if they didn't hear it, it doesn't matter if you said it or not. It just meant that they didn't hear it. Right. The burden of communication exactly. is always on the communicator. So um, I think it's it's a good a good little takeaway to, to be aware of this. And to yep. like just make some adjustments, even like right now today, I love it because it's implementable um, information, right? You're going to deliver you cars today. The type of, yeah, the type of delivery, the type of even just like sales process to make sure if it is like that those things are being talked about throughout the sales process, throughout the delivery journey, all of that type of stuff, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I it, alongside of that is when when you do have a vehicle that has more innovative pieces in it or more technology or anything like that it's it's this thing i i tell this to to dealerships all the time is like once you promise something the minute you stop delivering at it on it at a very very high level like you're actually held more accountable than someone that never promised oh, that before yeah oh right? man that's so true that's so so, true. so for instance in a dealership world right I, I, I use this all the time because everybody started like pickup and delivery in the pandemic. And if if you have someone that started pickup and delivery and started communicating or never started pickup and delivery and never started communicating it, if the person that started it now no longer can do that, can't do it as efficient, efficiently, or they stop adding value to that level of service, they actually are held more accountable in reviews and surveys and, and, and consumer, uh, you know, like consumer, um, uh, you know, response or, mm -hmm. or engagement to it than the person that never announced it or never started. It. Absolutely. So like to much, to who much is communicated, much is required and pollster and other like Tesla, they're communicating this extremely innovative approach and so the, the re requirement of communication or excellence is that much higher. And so Ugh. if you do have those brands or, um, you know, or those types of vehicles in your, uh, you know, in your vehicle set, in your model set, the requirement for you and your staff outside of the OEM to over communicate the expectations is that much more Jeez, than, you so know, universal, uh, you know, that's an, such an a universal, that is such universal principle. Yep. Like if you're, I mean, even think about it. if you have like amazing branding and amazing marketing and yep. when people walk in, like you do all this great job telling about the expectation is just higher, the higher quality yes. of the marketing. Like when I walk in, you're going to get more people to walk in, but you also have to deliver now on everything you just said. Without a doubt. Where, I yep. mean, it just, but hey, that's what excellence is about. That's what excellence is. is about. Well, speaking of marketing. Stop. Kyle, you looked at this article and you said, we could spend an hour on this last topic. <laughs> Literally. I mean, I, you know, uh, uh, you know, a friend of mine and, and, um, and uh, his name is Kevin. And uh, Kevin always talks about how through the pandemic, we have specifically seen um, millennials and Gen Z adults having the most anxious, most stressful um, 
response to the current you know, environment, whether that be the social environment or the media environment or the way that they engage in everyday decisions. And um, like the, the, the rate of increase in psychotherapy has gone way up over the last couple of years. And so, you know, the, the, the APA, the, the story is this, is that, that more people want more mind space and less noise. So they, they're recognizing that things are coming at them so fast and with like, so much information, so much news, so many stories, so many social media things that it's becoming hard to focus or concentrate or make decisions because of the anxiety that it induces on a given day. Yeah, the, report, the report from the APA shows that uh, 48% of adults um, are actually 32% of all adults, and this benchmarks differently across generations. So 48% of millennials, 37% Gen Z, 32% of Gen X, only 14% of boomers, and 3% of the older folks um, are so stressed that they're having a hard time making basic decisions like, what should I wear tomorrow? Because the mind space, like you said, Kyle, all these things have been piling up and piling up, um, you know, and it's, yep. it's not stopping. And so... Basically, that is happening. I have the solution for what to wear tomorrow. Just wear black shirts, real easy. This we were <laughs> we were struggling with this. Kyle is a millennial, me as a Gen Xer. We were like, how can we solve this? We need more mind space. Yes. Black hat. I, I switched the game yesterday. I wore a gray sweater, and no one recognized me. I walk in, and someone said, "Sir, can I help you?" Not that that that. Didn't yeah, right. <laughs> but look, historically. To kind of twisting this a little bit to put your marketing hat on for a second, brand marketing has always been about dominating headspace, right? Mm. It's the thing that's you know maximizing that the headspace that my brand occupies with you was always the goal. And this study is showing us like the mind space is full, right? And if you're trying to cram that's more in, you can actually have the opposite effect for your brand. So we're seeing a lot of retail brands understand this and pivot, right? Like Nike has started highlighting the benefit and like kind of the coolness, right? Nike's a fashion brand, the fashionable, fashionableness of mental, uh, mental health and not just, you know, physical accomplishment, leaving some space. One UK retailer called Selfridges, they actually have an hour of shopping every day at 10 o'clock, 10 to 11, where there's no music. They turn all the screens oh. in the place off and it's well, like- That sounds like magic to me. It's like quiet Sounds. Time. I'd probably oh. fall asleep. Yeah, you're like, let me curl up over here but real think quick. Think about yeah. that because you go in and it's like, mm. right? And you got the right. screens and everything's moving and, and then, fast. And yeah, you're doing this. I mean, I see my kids stressed out by that, right? Yeah. Like we go into a we, we go into a restaurant and they can barely even focus on eating because there's a screen everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like what have we done to oh, ourselves? I know it. I know it. So um, basically, so a McKinsey study shows that in an eight-week period, check this out, people have adopted more technology throughout the pandemic. They'll take an eight-week period and say people have adopted more interaction with digital things than they would have in seven years otherwise. We've talked about this phenomenon before, but the point is this. This is where it all comes together. So orienting your brand and your space and your dealership to think about how can I give people more calm? How can I give them more mm. space and less? Because you walk in a dealership, right? It's hustle, it's bustle, right? The person's already feeling stressed about it. And so some of the suggestions, you know, they, they, they talk in this article that I saw in Fast Company, it's linked up in, in, uh, in the show notes, that things like digital check into a hotel room, right, automating as many things as possible, 
but then following up or in, in, you know, like inserting one intentional human intentionality, like I digitally checked in, but when I got in, I got a really pleasant phone call. Hey, thank you so much for being Ah. here. Just wanted to make sure, can I send anything up to your room? Right. And they say, because you still need the human interaction to make the good brand impression. So, um, I think that, that again, just like the last, the last story, like this is something you can start implementing on immediately. Literally for $0. How how do you think about your showroom as reducing the stress to digital attention, right? How do you manage someone's attention? Even just recognizing the times that they go to their phone, right? And how do you maybe draw them back into attention into the human experience instead of the digital experience, whether it be their device or the device that you're showing them or the five TVs that you place in the showroom? Is there a way to to change that environment so people are more clear in their decision-making? You might actually see a higher level of aptitude to say yes in the showroom. And this same thing happens on the website, right? All these things flying in, you know, what, what do I do next? Right. What we see is that the more simple, wait, 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 you're saying that 23 calls to action, stress people out. Look, don't get me started. I said we could go for an hour on this Paul. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, there's some white space on the site. Another call to action. No, another call. I couldn't help myself. Another thing, right? Like, uh, actually, I was having this conversation with a dealer yesterday that was building in some new value propositions under the VDP. And it was just like, add this, add this, push this, change that. And all of a sudden it was like, whoa, I don't even like, how can I even approach the fact that there's a vehicle that I need to w- figure out if it fits my family? And and you're just shouting all this stuff at me. So stop you shouting. If one of the start. I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off. Can you imagine no, you're, if you're one you're of the dealership's value proposition was peace? right or space what does that just do to you coming here and like it reminds me of the beaver toyota they have they have literally like mind space rooms i'm gonna call them and you can go in these quiet rooms and they have music and aromatherapy and a massage chair and you can just go like close the door and sit in in there right i think they they've definitely their death patrick abad is on to something there um but without a doubt like this is countercultural to automotive but it is not, it is very in the flow and in the river of culture everywhere else. And we're telling you about it here. So if this can help you think about your experience a little bit more like a hospitality or a spa, I don't wanna, I mean, that's kind of like the far extreme, but how can you insert more peace and more space into the process of people in sales and surface? I think if you can do that, um, the data, uh, McKinsey and the APA, they're telling you that it would be a really good idea. So Come on. we're telling you that too. Thank you so much for spending a little time with us today. I know we were full throttle. We can't give you space on a podcast because no one listens to dead air, but we'll see you tomorrow. Lots of dead air. Unplug for a minute. Give yourself a little mind space. You deserve it. You deserve it. Mm-hmm.